Welcome to the Alabama Literacy Networks podcast, which is designed to share information and best practices for literacy. We hope to bring a wide variety of resources together to help school leaders, teachers, and parents so that all children read at high levels. We believe that literacy is a fundamental right that is tied to so many positive outcomes that we want for all citizens. This podcast was brought to you by the Alabama Science of Reading group on Facebook. With free professional learning and a community dedicated to improving reading, it's no wonder that so many people are part of this. If you aren't a member already, join us for free online. I'm your host, Shelley Bell Smith. Today, we will be talking to Carol Disson from the University of Oregon's Center on Teaching and Learning. Carol has worked on literacy research grants and technical assistance projects for the Center on Teaching and Learning at the University of Oregon for over 18 years. She has delivered school, regional, state, national, and international workshops supporting evidence-based literacy practices to educators for over 25 years. Carol has worked directly with schools supporting building strong, explicit, and systematic Tier 1 and Tier 2 systems of instruction, intensification of interventions, Tier 3, building effective literacy leadership, and is the lead author of the Enhanced Core Reading Instruction Curriculum. Prior to CTL, Carol was a K-6 literacy coach, Title I reading teacher, and classroom teacher. Welcome, Carol. I'm so excited to have you as a guest on the podcast today. Oh, thank you, Shelley. It's really great to be with you. I'm really excited to get a chance to talk to different states that are doing such great work supporting students in their reading. Absolutely. So I know a little bit about your background in literacy. What can you tell our audience? Yeah, so the big thing that I'm really proud of in my career is that I started out, like you said in the bio at the beginning, I started out as a classroom teacher, as a reading interventionist in the public school, and as a literacy coach. We were fortunate to be involved in a project that the Center on Teaching and Learning was facilitating, and they offered me a job to come to work for them. And it was really great timing for me to be able to go to a different kind of position. And I was really excited about just the the science of reading, which we didn't even use that term, you know, 19 years ago with it. But I knew what they were doing was going to open the doors for a lot of our students that were struggling in reading. And I was still looking for those answers, you know, and things that we could support schools and, and work with teachers to find the best ways that they could support students. So I took the leap, went to work at, at University of Oregon, Again, and it was like running with the best. I mean, I, at that point, had to take off running just as fast as I could to stay up with what they were doing in their work and their, pro- their progress. And then I've been really fortunate, and I what I call myself as a bridge between the researchers and the practitioners. So I get to run alongside the researchers, and I'm intimately involved in a, a lot of research projects and studies that we do. But then I'm out in the school. So I'm working with leadership. I'm in classrooms. I'm working with um, teachers. I get to see what's happening with students. And so it keeps me really grounded with what we know is 
happening um, within the schools. And, and that's what fuels my passion, you know, for doing this is to be able to be right at that ground level with teachers, but to be able to bring the newest things that we're learning and those things that we've known for a long time from the evidence of the research to the classroom. Oh, I love that. You know, researchers get a bad name sometimes because they aren't in schools and they don't have that understanding of the reality of what our classrooms look like now and what teachers are having to do. So the fact that you're in classrooms, working with teachers speaks volumes about what your beliefs are in terms of applying the research. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's something that our team has done um, really well is created a team that's not just researchers applying for grants and writing papers, but truly a team that is with the practitioners and is bringing back that reality to the work that we're doing in the field. And I think that's been really powerful for the work that we've been able to do. I bet. So I became aware of ECRI, Enhanced Core Reading Instruction, as I was researching how to improve core reading instruction. What is ECRI and what is the evidence that it works? Yeah, so ECRI... There was a life before ECRI with these routines. So we were involved in um, a different project um, several years ago, and the routines were created because schools, in order to be involved in the project, schools, it was a requirement that they had adopted a traditional core reading program. And the reason that that was a requirement is they wanted schools to have common tools that they were using. They could have common professional development. They were using a a systematic scope and sequence within the school and across the grade levels. So these schools had all adopted these traditional core reading programs, but it became apparent really quickly that they were deficient in some areas. And even though they were high quality tools, teachers were still struggling on how to navigate the use of those tools in order to provide multiple practice opportunities for all students. So what we did is we created these routines that helped teachers deliver the instruction from the core reading program at a much higher level. So after that study ended, we had these routines and we thought that they worked pretty well, but we hadn't actually studied them. And so we didn't have hard evidence to say, look, you should be using these routines. So we had an opportunity to apply for a grant from the Institute of Education Sciences, and they awarded us a five-year, $5 million grant to study the effectiveness of using these routines with the core reading program. So initially, they were only used with tier one instruction because that's where they were using the core reading program. The grant that we applied for, we upped the ante with it because we wanted to study how about we look at tier one and tier two 
and look at the alignment between those two with using these routines. So over the five years, we studied the effectiveness of using these routines. You can go to any of the clearinghouses. You can go to NCII, Intensive Intervention Tools Kit. You can go to ASA. You can go to any of the clearinghouses and look at the actual studies with it. Very rigorous, well-designed study. Random treatment control. So we had within the same districts, we had control schools that were just delivering instruction as they had been, and then the schools that added ECRI. We always said that we set ourselves up for failure when we did the study, because in order to participate, to even sign up before the randomization of selecting the treatment schools, they had to have a core reading program in place. They had to have a tiered system of support in place. They had to have a universal screening and progress monitoring in place. So they had to have all those things in place to even just be a control school, right? And then we selected the treatment schools. And so the only thing different that those treatment schools received was the ECRI routines, the ECRI lessons, the coaching um, that came along with uh, applying that into their model. And what we found after the five years was those schools that had the ECRI had much higher student outcomes and had changes from students that were struggling in reading, much higher outcomes for those students than schools that just had the control status with that. So it was really exciting that we got the evidence then that if you implement and a core reading program with a higher dose of practice for students, which is what those ACRI lessons are doing, you're going to have those higher reading outcomes. At the end of the five years, what a lot of research units will do is sell to a publisher. We decided we weren't done using it in the research field yet. So we decided that we wanted to make it available for the public to use because obviously that's the point of IES or United States Department of Ed doing any um, grants is they want to make things publicly available um, to people. So we we decided to maintain it. And so we do sell it through the Center on Teaching and Learning Marketplace as opposed to through a publisher. However, we continue to use it in different research projects. We're currently starting a replication efficacy study on ECRI. So stay tuned. In a few years, um, we'll have more evidence behind the use of, of these routines as well. I love that because a lot of times publishers and and other programs that are out there don't have that level of evidence. And when we understand the role of evidence in selecting programs, it changes the way, at least it did for me, it changed the way that I viewed all programs. Isn't that true? And that's that's a message that we're always sending to schools. And we're not always just saying, go look at ECRI. We're saying, look at these clearinghouse tools that are out there and look at the rigor that they used in the study of it. So this isn't an intervention that we're just Googling and finding, or this isn't an intervention that is on the shelf at the bookstore, but truly go on and investigate maybe interventions you already 
have within your building? And did they have a rigorous, well-designed study that is proving that if you use this intervention as it's intended, you'll get those higher reading outcomes? Highly recommend that for everybody. So ECRI really focuses on instructional routines in the five core areas of reading. How does that fit into what teachers are already doing? I really love this question because if you've been in the field of education for a long time, we've talked about the five big ideas of reading or the five core or um, areas of reading. When I go out now and do professional development, there's not any teacher that I can find that can't tell me what those five big ideas of reading instruction is. However, What we need to make sure that teachers are learning is why are we delivering those five big ideas of reading instruction and how they fit together within a a systematic reading lesson or systematic program of support across time. And here's the real kicker. How do you deliver the instruction in order for students to master those five big ideas of reading? So what ECRI is really focusing on in in the routines is that how you're going to deliver that instruction so that students are receiving multiple practice opportunities across days of instruction to make sure that they're mastering those skills. So not just focusing on the what we're teaching, but understanding the why, which is really important. But one thing we don't support teachers well enough in is how do you actually deliver that instruction? I couldn't agree more. And that's the reason that coaching is such an important aspect of implementation. Agreed completely. And it doesn't mean it doesn't have to mean that you have funding for a full-time literacy coach. Like how can you provide coaching within your system? And who are the experts that you have? Peer coaching. I mean, there's all different ways to look at it, but I completely agree that it's an integral part of a school system. So we hear a lot about tiered instruction. How does ECRI approach tier one and tier two? And how is this different from what we sometimes see happening in schools? This is where the heavens opened up for me when we went to apply for the IES grant to study this and decided to do tier one and tier two. And I still, to this day, remember sitting in the conference room, our entire team of researchers and coaches and experts were were sitting in this room and we started talking about it and we started talking about aligning between those two systems. When I was in the school system prior to going to Center on Teaching and Learning, I had been a classroom teacher for part of my career, and I had been a reading Title I teacher interventionist for part of my career. And I understood that disconnect that happens so often between those two. Classroom teachers working as hard as they can, and they're using their core program or their materials, and they're following that scope and sequence, and they're doing whatever they can within that 90 plus minute reading block. And then those students that are identified in need of additional support go down the hall for that support 
that person is also working as hard as they can, but doing something completely different. They're using a different program. They're following a different scope and sequence. So they might be working on short valves and the teacher might be working on long valve teams. And so we have the same student working on short valves and working on long valve teams. And there are struggling readers. The other thing that happens in the school system, those two people struggle to ever talk together. So if you're a classroom teacher, to find quality time that you're talking to the interventionist doesn't happen very often. So there's not a lot of communication and collaboration. So what ECRI has done in their approach is completely aligned it. So you're using your enhanced core um, reading instruction lessons that are directly aligned with your core program reading materials during your tier one instruction. So if you're a kindergarten teacher and you start at the beginning of the year and you're introducing the letter M for the first time, those students that have been identified in need of additional support and they go down the hall or wherever they go for their intervention, they are going to learn the letter M using the exact same routine. So the delivery looks the same, it sounds the same, it feels the same. So those students now that are struggling are going to get the identical looking instruction because the routines are being delivered the exact same way in tier one and tier two. And in a perfect world, that scope and sequence is aligned as well. When the gap gets a little bit larger, as the students go up, if you've got second grade students, for example, that are back at beginning at first grade level, they're not gonna be ready for those VAL teams yet. And so their scope and sequence might not be directly aligned, they're using the same scope and sequence, they're just back further in the scope and sequence. However, the routines are aligned. If you've got second language learners, if you've got students that struggle with attention, having the instruction being delivered the same way is a huge boost for those students because their cognitive level isn't being used to figure out how they're supposed to respond to the instruction because it's a routine, which means it looks the same, sounds the same, feels the same in both of those areas. So again, this was where I wanted do-overs in my career in public education because I was like, how beautiful would that have been? to know exactly what the instruction looks like, regardless if you're the interventionist, if you're the classroom teacher, you know what the instruction looks like in both tiers of instruction. You know how it's delivered. You've got common professional development. You've got common support. You're following the same scope and sequence. You're using the same materials. It is a beautiful marriage that the students are the ones that benefit from that. Absolutely. And and I've really become so much more knowledgeable about the cognitive load that our instruction has for students. And so lowering that cognitive load for them from the routines, like you said, frees them up to actually use that brain power for what we're trying to teach them. That's right. It goes all to the practice of the content. One of the things that I say to teachers are benchmark kids, our kids that aren't struggling in reading. How many scope and sequences and material, different materials do we give them to master in reading? One. 
And our most struggling readers, we give them two and sometimes three different programs and scope and sequences. I mean, it's really a schizophrenic system when you start thinking about what we're loading up on our most struggling readers instead of actually making it more cohesive and easier for those students. That really is this kind of seismic shift in our thinking because it is always just been more is better. That's right. And maybe more is better, but when you get more of a different thing each time, then it probably isn't better. That, that's right. That's exactly right. Because then we're not actually giving them more practice on the same thing. We're just giving them more of different practice. Yeah. Yeah. Which can be totally confusing. Mm-hmm. So, so much of what I love about ECRI is the instructional routines that teachers use with students. What can you tell us about how these routines work and what the overall goal is when teachers are using them? Yeah, and this really goes back to that how we teach, you know, that we talked about before. So it really is about the delivery of instruction. So we want to make sure, and this is one of the things that I say constantly when I'm providing the professional development, we want to make sure all of the students are receiving practice. What happens often when if you walk around into classrooms and you're observing instruction, we're really only teaching to the top 25 to 40% of the students in the classroom and rest of the students don't really have an opportunity for those practice opportunities. The routines are changing that. And what we're trying to get teachers to understand by using these routines is we want multiple practice opportunities for all students. So these routines all include the explicit components of teaching reading. So we, and not even just teaching and reading, explicit components of teaching. It doesn't matter what subject it is that you're teaching. So a teacher explanation, a teacher model, multiple practice for all students, immediate error corrective feedback, and checking for understanding. So every single one of the routines includes those explicit components with the idea of having that consistency so that we're reaching all of the students. And when I say all, I'm talking about during tier one instruction and I'm talking about during small group instruction. Because one of the things, it this happens even in small group intervention. You might only have five students in your group, but if you only have one student responding, why are the other four kids even there? So how do we provide these routines so that teachers are using those explicit components so that they get all five students having multiple practice opportunities? When you have that consistency between the routines as well as across days, then students truly are mastering the content of of what it is that we're teaching them. There's just so much even to unpack from what you just said. And I think one of the things that drew me immediately to ECRI was this idea of there are explicit components to teaching. And if we even tapped into a a piece of that in the other content areas, how much more effective would that instruction be? That's right. Well, and that's what I always say, too, is these components aren't just for reading. Like, you should be using those explicit components in every other subject area that you're teaching. So, you know, one of the things if we if we just, in some schools, I say, 
just start with teaching what are explicit and systematic components of instruction and really work on everybody getting really firm at understanding why and how to deliver instruction using those components is very powerful. So I was just thinking about how in ECRI, Tier 2 includes a pre-teaching component of what students will see the next day in Tier 1. What can you tell us about the thinking behind this design component and what benefits occur from it? Yeah. Well, when we decided when we were applying for the the study and when we implemented the original efficacy um, study for ECRI, what we really wanted to look at is if we Um, During the tier two intervention, if the lesson that the classroom teacher was going to teach in their very next literacy block, if that was pre-taught to those students that were below um, grade level in their intervention time, would that increase their success of practice and engagement during tier one? So because we use the um, same aligned lesson for tier one and tier two, again, I used the example a little bit earlier. If, If the letter M is coming up in kindergarten, the very first time that the students are going to get the introduction to the letter M will be in that small group with the teacher. So what they're going to get with that initial introduction is they're going to get more feedback because it's smaller number of students. So they're going to get more individual feedback. The teacher could add in some additional practice based on the checks for understanding if they're not mastering. So they're going to get that initial dose of that instruction in that small group. The very next day, those students are going to get that exact same lesson during their tier one instruction. And what we find is all of a sudden it's activating, oh, I learned the letter M yesterday. Like, I know that. I can be part of that. I And then they get additional practice with that same skill instead of... I'm learning the letter M in my intervention and they're looking on long A, they're working on long A consonant silent E pattern down in the classroom and they check out. And usually they have behavior problems when, you know, they're not involved, you know, in the instruction as well. So what we find is it increases the practice opportunities. So they get more practice. There's more engagement during the tier one and the tier two. They get more feedback, more corrective feedback between the tier one and tier two, more participation instead of they're just being housed during tier one and they've checked out, you know, that they're more involved um, in that instruction. I literally have gotten tears in my eyes to be in classrooms where I see these students that according to universal screening are struggling in reading and are receiving an intervention and to look at their engagement and involvement with their grade level peers in tier one, it is the most magical thing because they're excited. Kids know when they're behind, you know, in a subject area. And this enables them to actively participate and feel successful in the tier one instruction. And especially so many of our struggling readers are multilinguals. And so getting 
this information to them beforehand is such a reinforcing component. And, and it really goes back to what we know about learning in general is this kind of spaced learning where when, when we come back to it within a short period of time, it's really cementing in what students have learned. Yeah, that's right. I'm glad you brought up the second language learners too, because it is completely beneficial and helpful for those students within this pre-teaching model and within that small group so that they get that initial exposure. And then, like you said, in a very timely way, they're getting that additional practice and feel like they're part of their classroom and not just feeling like the only time that they're really engaged is in a small group outside of the classroom. Absolutely. So ECRI is what I would consider the epitome of direct, systematic, and explicit instruction. And I think that for some people who might not know better, think that it might not sound very interesting. And you know, I'm, I'm really even thinking of some states who've recently put time limits on direct instruction for students. What is students' response to ECRI instructional routines as far as interest and engagement? I love this question so much on so many levels. I do get this question a lot. And when we're doing the professional development and we're doing it with only adults, right? Adults are sitting in a room and you're doing the professional development. I'll have teachers say things like, um, so you want us just to be robotic teachers, and I, my response back is always about, no, I want your students to be successful because being successful in reading is what's fun and engaging for students. That's where the fun comes in. When students are not successful in reading, school is not fun because you need reading for every single part of instruction. And those students that know they're not readers, that aren't readers, they know they're not readers. It is not a fun place to be. So with these routines, some of the things that we talk about is the art of teaching. So it's not that I need to go on teacher pay teacher, or I need to change up and use different colors, or I need to um, make it prettier. I need to make it cuter. I need to change the way I'm doing. I was guilty of that when I was a teacher. Because I thought that was more engaging for um, students if I did that, if I changed it up and if I added in cuter stuff or I added in fun things throughout the year. What I know, I know better now. And what I know is routine is comfort for students. And routine is what helps them master the content. And when they master the content, they have a lot more fun in school and they're a lot more engaged in what we're doing. So part of the art of delivering direct instruction um, or the, uh, the routines is strategies um, that have rhythm, of pacing, how do we make our, it interesting? How do we limit the teacher talk? We need to have a lot of quick affirmative feedback for students when they're mastering. We need to have um, consistent checks for understanding so that we're not just pushing students through a curriculum that they're not mastering because that's not fun either. And then here's the real kicker. We want to make sure that students are successful with reading connected text 
every single day. So when I'm doing professional development, one of the things I ask teachers to do is I want you to have the goal that every student in your classroom every single day has an opportunity to sound and feel like a fluent reader. So when teachers think about that in their classroom, when I thought about that when I was a classroom teacher, to go back to when I was a classroom teacher, I failed that goal all the time. I had a lot of students in my classroom that were struggling, and I didn't give them the opportunity to apply skills that I was teaching them that they could read connected text with accuracy. And I didn't give them enough time with the text that they sounded like a fluent reader. When students start sounding and feeling themselves like a fluent reader, guess what they do more of? Reading. And when they do more reading, they get better at what? Reading, right? Yes. So if we can provide that skill practice for students that's directly associated with text, and we make sure that they're applying their skills, that's where the fun comes in, is when students are reading, 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 and the teacher is celebrating and celebrating and celebrating, you have a fun classroom, and there is nothing boring about it. Well, I agree. And everyone knows that success breeds success. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so uh, I just, I love how those routines translate to success for students. And I think that this concept that direct instruction is automatically boring and soul killing or whatever for children right. is is so wrong because we know that that's not what the research has shown us actually works. But it is important that we do, I'm going to go back to the coaching comment that we were talking about earlier. We can't just give teachers routines like this and say, now go teach them. You do have to really talk about and, and provide the supports with teachers on how they should be delivered using those, using an appropriate rhythm, using appropriate pacing. What are the ways that you would deliver this routine that wouldn't be successful with kids, which I've seen those. I've seen it. And it was like, I wouldn't want to be in that classroom either. It is incredibly boring. So we still, we can't just, again, go back to curriculum, hand it to teachers and expect that they're going to be successful with it. How are we as a school team building our capacity to know how to deliver this kind of instruction so that students can be successful? I agree completely on, on that you know, we talk a lot about equity and in instruction, but I'm not sure that our practices in the classroom always live up to that ideal. How do equity instructional routines create equitable opportunities for all students? One of the explicit components that's probably one of the hardest ones for teachers to learn to deliver correctly is think time. And what we end up doing is asking a question and immediately kids raise their hands or we'll say, who can tell me? And immediately kids raise their hand. If I'm a little bit slower processor, maybe I didn't even cue in that you asked me the question. I'm immediately trying to put my eyes down and avoid that the teacher is going to call on me. Even if a teacher does it that way and the teacher calls on a student, one student is getting a practice opportunity. That's all. 
So what we want to do in our explicit components in order to get multiple practice opportunities for students, we want to pose a question. So my, I'm going to go back to my example of teaching the letter M. So we're going to show them the letter M and we're going to ask them the name of the letter. So let's just go to letter name. We're going to ask them the name of the letter. We're going to give them think time so that we know everybody's ready to say the name of the letter. And then we're going to signal everybody to say it together with the expectation that everybody's saying the name of the letter. So I always say think time is this universal equity skill that teachers can use to make sure that all students are involved in the classroom and we're not just teaching to the top. If we've got a list of letters and we're just saying name, 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 we're teaching to the top 25%. But if we say name and we give a think time and then a signal, name and we give a think time and we give a signal, now all of a sudden we filter down that opportunity for response for all students and we're making the instruction available. The other thing that we talk about with what really equity in reading is, is giving these students an opportunity to become readers. So how is our school system set up? And what we talk about in our ECRI model, the tier one with the aligned tier two, how are we supporting the students within our system that they're becoming a reader? And that's what equity is. Oh, I, I just love that. And really, I was already thinking about wait time, think time, and I, I just wrote down about it being the universal equity skill. That's right. Because it's something I struggled with it as a classroom teacher. And it's something that is so hard for us to learn as teachers. It is. It is one of the most challenging people. We don't like dead airspace as teachers, right? Like we're always trying to fill it. That's why like we're communicators, like, and we're talkers and we're trying to fill it. So now we're telling teachers, nope, I want you to have this dead airspace, you know, for your students. It can't be too long, can't be too short. So, you know, it you have to practice it skill that we have to practice. And that's something we don't allow teachers to do. Our medical profession, if they learn a new surgical technique that, that's been studied and the evidence behind that surgical technique is that it's that the patient's going to have a higher recovery level, then they go out, they practice these. They don't just go out on their patients and start doing that surgical technique. Like they give them practice opportunities. We need to learn from that profession and we need to practice how you deliver these kind of things because it, it goes against everything most most of us learned in our teaching practices. I know it did for me. And, and the, also this idea of you've got to hurry up and get through this, that, that pacing. You've got to get through this lesson because you've got 4,000 other things that you need to teach students today. And it does really go against what so many of us were trained, or at least we thought we were being trained to do in, yeah. in school. The other thing, and when I'm working with leadership and I'm, we're walking through classrooms of teachers that we're supporting at, at changing their practices and using these routines, uh, and I'm going through with leadership, I said, I don't want to sit in the back of the classroom and watch the teacher. I want to sit in the front of the classroom and watch the students, because what is the instruction about? 
the students? What is it we're watching then when we're walking through a classroom? Are all of our students having an opportunity for practice? So I want to watch student mouths and I want to see that they're all getting practice opportunities. And if I, and if I'm only getting 25% of the students with their practice opportunities, there's something in the delivery of instruction that we need to tweak. And often it is that wait time, you know, with it. So just, I'm always saying, if you've got five students, I want to see five out of five responding. If you've got 25 students, we want to see 25 of your students responding, you know, with it. So again, going back to the equity question, that's equity, right? Is that students have equal access to the instruction. Love, love, love. I'm really interested in helping people implement whatever they've chosen to implement well. What are your thoughts on how to achieve a high quality implementation? So with with ECRI and with the routines, they can be overlaid onto any curriculum and any program because we didn't write lessons separate from whatever your core reading program. So just a reminder, the ECRI stands for Enhanced Core Reading Instruction. So even if you don't have the ECRI aligned lesson with your particular core reading program, the idea is you can overlay and use these routines. So there's a routine to teach irregular words. So you would pull out your irregular words and you can use that routine because the idea is it's those explicit components of how are we making sure that all students are getting the practice opportunities. So you can still use these ECRI routines with any program that you have. I've got a lot of schools that I've worked with that they already had interventions in place that they had purchased. They didn't have money to purchase additional materials. However, they did purchase the ECRI routines and they overlay them onto the intervention that they're using to make sure that they're upping the quality of the delivery of instruction. And I think that that's the perfect segue to my next question which is really about when we look at tiered instruction. And I've said over and over again, when we increase the quality of tier one, we decrease the number of students who need tier two. What are some of the things that you've seen that could increase the efficacy of tier one instruction in classrooms that perhaps has nothing to do with swapping to a new program or going to a training session? Yeah. And I'm going to keep going back to how do we improve the delivery of instruction and how do we provide that equal access for all students? Because um, I, I, when I do professional development, a story that I tell is walking into a classroom. I live in, in Oregon and we've had large class sizes for quite a while. In fact, the last year that I was in the classroom, I was teaching first grade. I had 34 students in my classroom by myself without any um support. I didn't have any teacher aid, any support, 34 students. So I know what large class sizes look like, you know, what that means. So I was in a classroom and um, first grade classroom, they had 32 students and the teacher was doing a lesson and she said, who can tell me whatever her question was? And there was two or three students that would raise their hand and she would be like, Ariel, you tell me. And Ariel answered the question. Then she went on in the instruction and then she paused and said, who can tell me? And one little girl raised her hand. Guess what her name was? 
Ariel. And she said, Ariel, tell us the answer. And Ariel said what the answer was. The teacher went on in her instruction and then she paused and said, who can tell me? And she asked the question, guess who raised their hand? Ariel. So there's 32 kids in the classroom, tier one instruction. Who is the only one that we know for sure is even engaged in the lesson was Ariel, who probably came in knowing the things before they even started the instruction, right? So what we want to do is support teachers and it's not about class size. We've seen this be quite effective up into the 30s because that's where we're at here in Oregon. It's, it's about that delivery of the instruction. How do we make sure that um, we're following those explicit components and going back to that think time and going back to the students all getting those multiple practice opportunities there? If we're not doing that in tier one, we're going to continue get these students that require the intervention. And instead of let's put a big focus on how we're making sure that students are mastering these skills during tier one instruction. So we don't have to spend so much of our time and our, and our school dollars on the interventions. Again, I do want to go back though, Shelly. I want to add one other thing on there. The only way we're going to get there is by high quality professional development and ongoing support for teachers. It's the only way that we can be successful with making sure that teachers are changing the practices in the classrooms. Agreed. And that may be the answer to the next question, which was, you know, as you work with people across the country on reading intervention, what's the one thing that we could change that would help all students with early literacy? Yeah, you know, that's a really hard question to make me say one thing, right? In reality, the one thing is having a strong school-wide reading system that's supporting students in reading across those tiers. So when we talk about that reading system, there are components, you know, that schools should have in place in order for students to be successful. They need to have a strong master schedule in place, that you have an uninterrupted tier one reading block, that you have uninterrupted intervention blocks for each grade level, that you have trained interventionists that are delivering a strong intervention, that you have data systems that are informing student mastery and instructional adjustments, and you have strong professional development and coaching. So it's hard for me to say there's one thing, because what I find is people are just looking for the one thing. They're looking for that magic bullet. And in reality, they should be looking at the system for reading that's supporting their students. Because without, I just named several things, and without one of those things in place, we end up losing kids or kids fall through the cracks. So for me, what is it that school should really focus on? It truly is building a strong school-wide reading system of support. I couldn't agree more. And I think that that was an incredibly clever way of, of <laughs> saying that was a bad question. And um, here is a better answer. So I appreciate that. Carol, thank you so much for taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule to talk to me today. It has been such a pleasure talking with you and learning with you. 
Thank you so much for having me on here. And and again, I just can't say enough how valuable folks like you in the field are that are providing um, these kind of supports and resources to teachers. It's just a great support system that you have in place. So thank you for having me today. Oh, thank you. Join us again for the next episode of the Alabama Literacy Network's podcast.